You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Hey, it's Michelle. Welcome back to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I find that as a single mom, one of the places I can get really stuck is this feeling like it's not supposed to be like this, that you know the way that God designed marriage and families to be and feeling like you're just outside of that. And sometimes it feels not just unfair, but it can feel really uncomfortable. It can feel vulnerable and it's, it's it can even just really feel like a scary place to be. My guest today is Elisa Morgan and Elisa wrote an incredible book called The Beauty of Broken. And what I love about Elisa's perspective about life is that abnormal is normal. That's what she says, that essentially the first family was a broken family. And so much of the struggle that we go through, I think, as single moms is trying to fit into this ideal. And while we know that there's a way that God designed things, we don't spend enough time realizing that we're in a fallen world. And that our experiences, all of us, they're all broken. There are no perfect families. I feel like what Elisa did for me in this book was normalize the fact that even if you're in a traditional family, there's there's no perfect family out there. And in Elisa's story, there are all kinds of things that are not maybe what we think were the ideal. In her background, there's been divorce and addiction and infertility, teen pregnancy, all sorts of different things that we would say probably are outside of the ideal that most of us would expect or hope for our lives. But in that, she's seen God's power and God's goodness in all of it, and that has given way to hope. I felt that this topic was really important to address right now as well before we move into Thanksgiving and Christmas because the fact of the matter is these holidays, while they should often feel so joyful, They do come laced sometimes with these feelings of suffering because they're reminders of the brokenness that we've experienced. There are times where we feel like we're supposed to feel great about life no matter what, that everybody else is celebrating around us and it doesn't often feel like maybe you match that, that where you're at doesn't match that. And the one thing that I've learned in this journey and in some of the things that I've learned from Lisa, it's that being able to accept brokenness allows me to accept myself and where I'm at and helps me not to place expectations on myself and not to accept expectations of the world or other people based on what's going on around me. One of the places I got tripped up last year as the holidays approached was feeling like I was supposed to celebrate in a certain way, but that that way of celebrating would have betrayed the feelings that I was really having inside And so I had all this wrestle and all this struggle around what I thought I was supposed to feel like instead of just accepting myself where I was. And when I finally did that, I was able to accept God's presence and his peace in my life. God so longs to fill in our broken places. And when we come to him pretending we don't have any, we miss out on his healing. We miss out on the on the gift that he has for us. As I was wrestling through this last year, I was reading a copy of Magnolia Journal And in it, they talked about this Japanese art called kintsuji. And in this process, they take broken pieces of pottery and fill in the cracks with gold. 
And so what was a broken vessel now has function and purpose again, but has been beautified because of the cracks that it had rather than it being completely discarded. And I realized that I felt like that piece of pottery where, yes, I had these cracks and all of that, but that when I started bringing these broken places to God instead of pretending that they didn't exist or trying to cover them up myself, that I started seeing just this power in my life that brought out better parts of me than I even knew were there before. And so it was like those gold veins now in this piece of pottery that had once been broken. And I think the fact that we can be made better in our brokenness is really the hallmark of Elisa's message. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Before I launch into the conversation with Elisa, I wanted to tell you about our webinar yesterday. It was so much fun. We talked about loneliness types and we talked about the things in our past and in our patterns that are holding us back. And it was a fun time to just explore some of these things, some of these broken places and how we can move them aside to step into a life that is fun and fulfilling. But if you missed that webinar, I wanted to let you know you still have an opportunity to watch a rebroadcast. If you go to agapemoms.com forward slash webinar, you'll have the ability to register there for a link to be sent to you that you can watch that webinar and benefit from all of the things that we talked about in that conversation. One of the things I also talked about is having action steps to move forward, that understanding our type and understanding what causes us to feel lonely is one thing, but having action steps and new habits to get out of those patterns is really critical for moving forward in life. And what I've done is created a new course that's launching this coming Tuesday, November 15th. And in the course, there are seven modules in which we go through seven exercises together that I teach you some new habits and some new patterns of thinking to help you get out of this lonely space and move into a new place that is so much more free. The course is called From Lonely to Alive, A Single Mom's Guide to Life and Love. This being the first launch of this course, I'm offering it at a reduced rate. But the first step, no matter what, is for you to have a look at the webinar and learn some of those things about your past and your patterns to determine what it might be that you need to move forward. And you can register again to receive access to that class at www.agapemoms.com forward slash webinar. I'd like to give you some background on Elisa Morgan. Elisa Morgan is an international speaker and author and podcast co-host for God Hears Her, writer for Our Daily Bread, and a co-host of Discover the Word. She has authored over 25 books on mothering, spiritual formation, and evangelism, including When We Pray Like Jesus, the NIV Mom's Devotional Bible, The Beauty of Broken, and Hello Beautiful. For 20 years, Elisa served as CEO of Mops International. She's married to Evan, and they have two grown children and two grandchildren who live near them in Denver, Colorado. One of the things I think you'll find really powerful about Elisa's story is the fact that she was serving in ministry as the president of Mops at such a high level and yet was going through so much brokenness in her own life and that that didn't disqualify her, that it was something, in fact, that God used to give her greater influence. And I know that brought me just so much hope and encouragement. Here's my conversation with Elisa Morgan. Michelle, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. I'm just so thrilled to have you. Oh, you're so gracious. You're so (laughs) generous. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just loved this book. I loved 
the mm-hmm. way in the beauty of broken that you just talk about brokenness and the things that don't go the way we think that they're going to go or the way that we hope yes, they're going to so go. Yes, so many of them. So many of them. Yeah. Yes. And your story touches just so many things, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, whether there's divorce or whether there's infertility, whether there's addiction, I just across the board, a lot of things that especially single moms and, and the women who are listening are dealing with mm-hmm. your, your story encompasses, I, I'd say a vast majority of them. I'm and so glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so, I love this, just this book. I, I, I'm still continuing on a healing journey myself, obviously, but yeah, aren't we all? Yeah. It, it, for me, these just things like this are like little light posts, you know, where it's just, it just, yeah. just changes You're your, on the right path. Yeah. yeah. And it changes your perspective, even just a couple of degrees to go, Ooh, I don't have to look at it this way. I can look at this thing this way. So good. So thank you so much for your work. You're welcome. <laughs> Appreciate You're it. welcome. You're so welcome. <laughs> Alisa, one of the things I love about the beauty of broken is that throughout it, you are always drawing to our awareness. The fact that all families are broken families, all families have some kind of something that they're dealing with. And that to God, what we think is abnormal, to God, that abnormal is normal. He knows that we're going to have brokenness. He knows that we're, we're going to be dealing with these things. Can you talk about how in your own life it was that you arrived at that understanding and why we fight so hard to do it the other way, to have things be perfect? <laughs> oh, gosh, we do. And we do. And let me just be straight up, you know, I think the way I arrived at the reality that an abnormal family is pretty much normal (laughs) is because I come from a broken family originally. My original family was broken through divorce first when I was about five years old, and then later through alcoholism. And um, I was raised by a single mom who's really struggled, um, did the best she could. I can see that now. I've had a lot of healing in my life. But I determined as a result of those issues that I was going to raise a perfectly intact second family. And so when I met and married my amazing husband, Evan, you know, we we promised we wouldn't even use the word divorce. You know, we were in control of most of our things. You know, we raised up our children through adoption. We waited forever, but through adoption, we did all the Jesus-y things and went to church and, you know, did it right. And then stunningly, my daughter, when she was just a teenager, became pregnant. And my son began to veer his life into issues that were unhealthy, things like substance abuse and and some legal issues. And I watched my second family fall and break. And honestly, Michelle, what I, it's a long time and a lot of therapy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What I came to grips with is that I had determined I was going to make a perfectly intact second family, but guess what? God's family was a broken family. And if God, who was the very perfect heavenly father, ended up with a broken family, why do I think, why do we think we're going to do it any differently? Why do we think we're supposed to do it any differently? And so it's been a long journey, you know, decades and decades of understanding that that broken is our condition. It, it is our normal condition. It's not an abnormal condition. And, and when we accept that and embrace that and perhaps even present that to our healing father, you know, that's kind of where we all can begin. In the first couple of chapters of the Bible in Genesis, 
the first family falls and breaks. You know, Adam and Eve are the first family, and they disobey the only commandment God had given them, which is to not to eat of the tree of knowledge. And they go ahead and eat of it, and they become separated from God. And, you know, so the first family falls and breaks. And, and then they give birth to the first children, one of whom murders the other. Hello! And mm-hmm. by the, the sixth chapter in Genesis, the world is so... <laughs> depressingly broken that God decides to start all over again, this time with Noah. And things go along swimmingly, if you will, for the first 40 days and 40 nights, you know, but pretty soon that family falls and breaks and it just goes on and on. And you see this pattern, you know, of Abraham and Sarah, Sarah impatient for a child and deciding that Abraham should sleep with her slave, you know, and have an illegitimate heir. And and David, the the second king of Israel, has an affair with Bathsheba, and they conceive a son, and David ends up murdering her husband. It just goes, wow, you know, all the way to where you end up in the New Testament with the pregnant, unwed mother who becomes, (laughs) you know, the, the mother of the God of the universe. Brokenness is the condition of God's family all along. And his entire passion and desire is to rescue his beloved people from our broken condition. Not to, you know, patch it up with scotch tape and, you know, a glue gun. Instead, to bring our brokenness into the the light of his offering so that we maybe can see our need for him finally and allow him closer to us. I've always thought that that's really fascinating to look at the genealogy of Jesus as you sort of even just went through. It's like there are these imperfect figures all the way down. And yet we still think like our family should be perfect. Like Jesus's lineage was not clean and perfect, yet we think ours are supposed to be. Where do you think that comes from? You know, I I don't want to blame it too much on like one particular era because I think it's the condition of humankind. Um, you know, when we fell and broke in the garden, we immediately grabbed for whatever fig leaf shape excuse we could find to cover ourselves up. And God bless his heart, once he found Adam and Eve and helped them understand that he saw them even in their brokenness, he fashioned clothes for them. Isn't that beautiful? God sewed together animal skins, which really required the first sacrifice in scripture in order to clothe humankind in, in from our shame. So it's not like a huge surprise to him, but I think we've been trying to hide um, and dress it up and, and come up with excuses for a very long time. But I do think certain eras of uh, human history have had a different emphasis. I mean, if you look back to to Bible times in terms of the New Testament, children really weren't even valued until they came of age. They were seen as something to just, you know, become an an heir, but they didn't count until they could be in a religious right and have their own values. And in fact, infant mortality was so high that, you know, moms and dads would kind of hold their hearts back from their kids thinking, well, you know, one in five is going to die here. So let's, you know, wait and get attached. Don't get too attached, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure, there were some eras when, you know, a woman's value was determined more by could she even have kids, not by how they turned out. I think in our current generation, Michelle, I think some of the the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s have shaped us deeply. We came out of World War II with a, a you know, a shiny hope for the future. You know, we beat the enemy of Nazism. 
And everybody, you know, got to come home to the shiny America and suburbia was born. And, you know, life took on a, a very shiny, crisp, um, shirt-waisted and pearls, beaver cleaver kind of image. And then through the 60s and some of the rebellion that happened in the 70s and some of the drug movements. But then in the 80s, I think especially some, especially Christian ministries began to idolize, I think, um, the family in the Jesus movement with the best intentions of helping moms and dads raise the best kids they could. But I think some erroneous ideas seeped into our churches that if you knew Jesus, you know, you had the answer, you had the formula, you know, me plus Jesus equals perfect kids and perfect family. And the problem is that, uh, you know, we come to see our need for Jesus, not through our perfection, but through our brokenness. And so when <laughs> when the, the regular families fall and break, that's when we really draw close to Jesus, except we thought we were doing it all wrong. That's what I thought. I thought, well, what did I do to mess all this up? That's right. Yeah. And it's those erroneous, as you said, those erroneous ideas. And I think it even continues now, if you look at like sort of the Pinterest family, you know, the Pinterest mom with the perfect birthday parties and perfect school pictures with the chalkboard and, you know, what the kid wants to be when they grow up and, you know, all that kind of stuff and no slight to anybody who loves doing those things, but they create this unrealistic expectation of how life should look, how we should portray it, how it should feel and all that sort of thing. And I think it kind of, it's a, it's a protection for us that we can feel like, well, if I follow this formula, then everything should work out the way that I want it to. And that's something that you unmask in this book is that there is no formula that you can do the very best that you, even, even with even the best that you can do, there's still going to be these things that we're going to have to deal with, but that even that's part of redemptive history and that God, because these things are expected to God, that these things will happen, that he wants us to step into the space where these now become opportunities yeah. for him to show himself and his magnificence and his work. That's well put. And, you know, Michelle, it's funny. Thank you for bringing up the whole Pinteresty and everything thing. I think that's what today's generation of moms, really young moms right now who are in the thick of parenting, um, struggle with is the the facade out there of, of social media that everything looks fantastic and if I can't post you know my my real moments that are gorgeous something's wrong with me and you know I, the reason I didn't quickly go there is because I got unplugged from that before that generation happened mm-hmm, you know and mm-hmm, so now I'm mm-hmm. like well oh well you know but but I'm really glad you you brought that up because I do yeah. think that's today's iteration of the whole thing well and I think one of the hopeful things for me out of of this book is that being a single mom, that image gets completely shattered. There is no way you can hold on to anything that even is a facade. It's gone. It is totally annihilated. And yet though, there is a lot of, there are a lot of single moms who wrestle with the shame attached to having absolutely broken set of expectations now, but yet we're more maybe in line with the way that God what he intends to do with our brokenness. So can you talk about that as far as how these expectations actually sort of contradict what it is that God wants to do in us, through us, for ourselves, for our kids? You know, I think you just hit on it, Michelle, with the word shame. You know, shame is a byproduct of our failure. Um, You know, we goof up, we make mistakes. Um, Sometimes it's our own fault. Sometimes the mistakes are done to us. But however they occur, we we break. 
And when we break, um, we have a choice and we usually do kind of both. You know, we, we either run to God with it because we know we're at the end and we can't sustain health or we cover up and then we can't sustain health <laughs> either, you know, <laughs> and, and, and shame comes in as a kind of a false promise. It's as if, it's as if we're wooed into, you know, dress it up, make it look better, um, run away from what you've done wrong. Don't own it, fake it. And, and then you'll be better. But that is so exhausting. And it actually ends up perpetuating this feeling of not enoughness, mm-hmm. of inadequacy, mm-hmm. of being broken and therefore needing to be trashed, thrown out. And a lot of times we throw ourselves out, you know, when God has not thrown ourselves out. So I think, I think the word shame and the concept of shame is hugely important to understanding how expectations cripple us. And if we can identify, I think this is just a really super helpful exercise. Where do I feel ashamed? And what is that about? You know, when I when I take a picture of myself and I see the lumpy bumpies on my thighs that shouldn't be there, and I've got on leggings and I think, well, why didn't I wear, you know, one of those cute little golfy skirt things instead? Because that hovers that. And I, these crazy things go through our heads, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. or... I, I lose it in the grocery store and I, I snap at my child in the cart and three people turn and look at me and they don't know I've been up since two trying mm-hmm. to get the kids homework done. If you had to online school them during a pandemic and they don't know that I'm still trying to work while I'm handling their schedule and mine in the day, mm-hmm. but I just self incriminate. Um, if I can identify, if each of us can identify what's going on underneath that message of you suck here you know if I can get into that and go well it's because I wasn't patient it's because I was selfish it was because I lost my temper it's because somebody else actually saw the real me that's really what it is for me Mm -hmm. I know it's there but somebody else saw it if I can identify that and turn it away from staring at it face to face like a mirror and turn it outward and hold it up to God and go I know you know this is here. Mm. And this is all I got right now. I really think God goes, sweet pea, I do know. And I love you even that way. Now, now come on, let, take my hand. Come on, let me do this with you. You're not alone. And that becomes the turnaround place where the expectations can be dismantled and we can redefine who we are in Christ. I love that because I found that for me, the voice of that interior critic I assumed that if I'm seeing myself this way, that's how God sees me. And so I, even though I was running to God, there was still my, uh, an an unwillingness or an inability to accept myself flaws and all, because I didn't know if God did. I I, I know I'd heard that he did, but I didn't internalize that and really believe it. And once I could start hearing the voice of God in the way that you have just, you know, sort of illustrated as like, daughter. And I've heard that now from, you know, whispers in my heart, daughter, I love you. You even mentioned that in your book that you had the moment where you heard God say, I love you. It was like the first time I heard God say that it was like, Oh, I can deep exhale now. But that if once we start to see ourselves in brokenness, the way God sees us, not the way that, and realize it's not the way that we see ourselves, then we can start to shift that. And that shame all does start to break off. And there's so many wonderful things that we can learn through brokenness if we start there. And in your book, you talk about some of those, what you call them broken family values, but these things that we really actually grow and be are strengthened in because of brokenness. 
So would you talk a little bit about some of those lessons and, and what those broken family values are that we're actually gaining through the process of brokenness? Oh gosh. Yeah. I think I have like 12 or so. So there's mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of them. And um, favorites I them maybe. To, <laughs> okay, okay. I, I use them to tell my story and mm-hmm. the story of my family. But I think about the first one is um, commitment and it's a kind of no matter what love. And I learned that as I walked through my daughter's first and second pregnancy as a teenager. Yes. And um, I realized that that's the way God loves me. You know, he loves me even though, and he loves me no matter what, and he loves me wherever. And um, we really do have to step into that kind of love in order to receive it before we can give it, because otherwise it's just this kind of grin and bear it. And we become like a pipe, you know, an empty pipe that God's love flows through from him to others, but it never touches us. It Mm -hmm. never changes us. And Mm -hmm. instead, I think he wants us to be more of a vessel or or a pitcher, if you will, where his, his love flows into us. And then he tips us over and pours from us into Mm -hmm. others, but we receive it as a receptacle. We're we aren't meant to be empty ourselves. Right. I think about how in in the letter, the the letter, um, the first letter to John, sorry, the first letter of John, in chapter four, where John writes about love and that there's no fear in love and that uh, we love or perfected in love. And I, I think about how he calls us children of God and he calls us his beloved. That word has always captured me on this commitment value. Beloved, it's like, oh, you know, sweet pea, precious, isn't, isn't that nice? But if you really sit and sit with that word beloved, that we are God's beloved, And then you see in it, there are actually two words in that one word, be loved. That's what it means to understand God's love for us. It's not just to take on that label of beloved, but to let myself be loved. And then then I'm capable of loving my kids, my friends, my spouse, if I have one, my parents who may have hurt, hurt me, others, my neighbors, my coworkers, then I'm capable of loving them with a no matter what love. So, so that's maybe one of my first values. But another one I think is, is diversity. And that is understanding that you don't get to control <laughs> how your kids turn out and who they are. We think we can. And here I, I'm an adoptive mom. And so I figured that once they were placed in my arms, that I would be able to love them with the love they'd never had before. And I would be able to like, you know, be able to hold them together in a wholeness that they may have not experienced. And God just very gently, but clearly helped me understand that by the time my adopted children would be put in my arms, whatever age they happened, and they were infants when I had mine, they would have already experience the greatest wound of their life in terms of being separated from their natural parents. And, but it still took me 20 years to understand that I couldn't make up for their wounds and I wasn't actually supposed to. In fact, their wounds can become their sacred offering just as my wounds can become my sacred offering. And so diversity by that, I I mean, you know, when my daughter's 18 and she shows up at a fundraiser where I'm speaking and she's tatted up from one end of her toe to her upper thigh. And I'm like, where did that come from? Oh boy. You know, she's 18. She can make these choices. Or, or, or when, when my son ends up really good at cooking, when I never saw that ability in him and I never fostered it, 
the diversity of understanding that these are creatures made by God that I'm asked to steward, not control. Mm -hmm. That's another huge family value for me. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I can go on and on. So there's just a couple. (laughs) Yeah, that hits on some, some things that I learned from reading your book about the difference between, as you say, you can't control them, but you have to steward them. And that for us as single moms, that there is this brokenness that we feel sometimes like we brought it into their life. Even if it was maybe not something we did that, that caused us to become single moms, or if we did participate or whatever the circumstance, everybody has something different, but we often feel some level of responsibility for the fact that, well, this story didn't go the way that I thought it was supposed to. And now my kids don't have a story that looks like I wanted it to. And I feel responsible. And I, I like that you talk about these things that this brokenness, whatever it was or whatever it comes from, God, it was not a surprise to him. And God is going to use it not only for our own healing, but for theirs, but their process is going to look different. Their process mm-hmm. might be longer. It's going to be, it's going to be somewhat intertwined with ours, but it's also somewhat separate. And we have to allow that separateness and we have to trust God in the process of them growing through pain and growing through brokenness because he wants to use it to make himself so real in their lives, just as he's doing the same thing in us. But sometimes that's going to be a little messy. (laughs) And I think it's incredibly painful because it's just natural that we want to protect our children from the pain that we experienced. It's just natural. You know, Mm -hmm. I I know what happens when your parents abandon you. I know what happens when you make terrible life altering choices. I don't want them to have to go through those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really difficult, I think, to learn it the first time around. And by that, I mean, as moms and dads, it's much easier to understand it when you're a grandparent. In fact, I don't know why God doesn't give babies to grandparents every time because because we know what we're doing by then (laughs) but but he doesn't he gives babies to people who've never been parents every single Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and and we just we we leap with this maternal instinct to protect them and I, I would find myself you know throwing my body over a pothole in my daughter or my son's path. And it's like, they would just pick up my body and throw it to the side and dive down the pothole. And I'm like, I told you not to go down this pothole. And they're like, well, I'm going to figure it out myself. Uh I remember in counseling when my uh, grandson was very young and my daughter was a single mom with him. And then there came a time when his birth dad became involved and I was just like what we're talking about here, Michelle, grieving over his life changing, grieving over the the struggles he was facing to understand this man and what had happened and telling my counselor, you know, I, I just didn't want him to have to go through this. Da, 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 da. And she goes, Elisa, you know, has God used your story to make you who you are? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. And it's my whole offering. I know that now. Mm. Well, then don't you think that God can use your grandson's story as well? And and that's where I, I just had to learn to step back. And this is going to be a weird thing to say, but not be stingy with my children, with my grandchildren, but be more open-handed and yielded to realize that, that as I entrust them to God and as they choose to entrust themselves wherever they're going to, you know, that God can use that, that he is bigger than that, that his purposes are ultimately for good. And I can release them to that. You have an expression in the book about keeping your feet in your own shoes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Elaborate yeah. on that. That would be it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be it. It's it's really easy to think that if I could get into my my son's little shoes. I remember one time sitting next to him in a pew at church, and his little legs were stick, sticking straight out as they do at certain times. And I thought, you know, his little feet were so tiny. And I thought if I could just put my little feet into his little shoes, you know, I could walk so much better the paths where he was headed. And and God was super clear about, Elisa, keep your feet in your own shoes. You know, let me guide you and you do the best you can, but let me guide you and trust me to guide them. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Good God. Yeah. <laughs> he knows what yeah, he's talking thanks. about. <laughs> what a word. Yeah. <laughs> I also found it so freeing that you talk about the fact that God holds us accountable for our influence of our children's choices, but, and our response to our children's choices, but not for our children's choices. Can you talk about how our parenting, if we really absorb that truth, how our parenting would shift if we really do accept that that is the way of things? Yes. And, and I I really do want to continue to say this, this is decades of layering of lessons. So, you know, don't beat yourself up if you're just, you know, got layer one, number one that you're in right now. That's, mm-hmm. that's normal. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, God gives kids to people who've never been parents before. And so we began everybody at the same place, trying to be a mom, trying to figure out how do I do this? Um, you know, as my children would make their choices, um, you know, and I probably told my my daughter a million times about the the, the be careful about sex and da, da 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 da. And here's what the design is for, and here's how we need to handle ourselves. And so, when her choices were different and how she became involved, you know, I'm sure I could have been more involved and more strident about birth control or some other things. And so I I did hold myself accountable there. But the reality is, I can't go back and redo what I did as a mom. I I can only move forward from where I am. How will I be present to my daughter who is pregnant, not thinking about it, not might be one day, but is pregnant? How do I steward our relationship now? Um, I can remember her first child, um, she relinquished through adoption. And the process of going through that was grueling with her. Here is a, here is a, a young woman who was relinquished herself and now is relinquishing her baby. That was her choice. And I walked with her through it. And we still have a relationship with that young man. And he's a wonderful, beautiful young man. And I so admire my daughter. I could have pulled back and freaked out and, you know, given all kinds of ultimatums or insisted that she was a minor and I needed to make the decisions. I, I, I didn't feel led to do any of those things. I felt that God would hold me responsible for my responses to her choices. When then she had my second grandson and determined that she would parent him as a single parent, I wrestled the same way, going, oh, God, she can't possibly be ready for this. And I'm not ready to be a grandmother and da, 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 da. And the Lord was really clear with me, you know, you can be involved with this or you can't. And, and as she became pregnant, Yet another time and lost that baby in her marriage. And then another time, I was afraid for her. And I thought, Lord, I I don't want her to to have a life-threatening pregnancy like she had had before. And she was very clear with me. You can either be a part of this pregnancy. She's with her husband now. They've been married some time. Or you can choose not to. 
And I thought, wow, here I am again. You know, I'm not responsible for their choices. I'm responsible for my response to their choices. And so I chose to expose my heart yet again, yet again to what might happen. And we did not lose this one baby. We did have this baby. He's now almost six years old and I'm so glad. But you know, it's, it's a daily choice we all make. Um, we can't choose for them, but we can choose our responses to their choices. I'd like to take a break here to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling on the go. It works through an app that you're able to access your counselor through that you can schedule appointments based on your availability, that you can do that whether you're at home, at work, in your car, anywhere that might be convenient for you. And in between sessions, I've had the ability to message my counselor back and forth, and it gives them a good idea of what I'm going through in between sessions and allows me to access the help I need in real time. If you've been considering counseling and you'd like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can actually get 10% off your first month if you go to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. I have a wiring similar to yours as well, where you, you talk about in the book, perfect Elisa and wanting to get everything just right. If I can just do it right, just do it perfect. What do you think is something in all of these things that have, you've had to relinquish and lay them down and do the best you can do and all that kind of thing. What is one thing that you think God changed inside of you through the process of all these things? Well, this is a little bit gnarly and knotted and so and everybody may not relate to this and i understand that um but because i come from a family of divorce and a family of alcoholism my survival mechanism was to be very heroic very strident very achieving oriented um do it all right do it all now take it all on myself the hero role in an alcoholic family and i'm an, a three on the enneagram which is the achiever type so for me, and each one of us is different. And again, this was a lot of therapy. I needed to discern and, and tease apart where those defense mechanisms and survivor survivor skills were helping me and serving my health and where they were further tying me up in a knot and imprisoning me. Mm. So there came a time actually, and I talk about this in the book, where I really needed to let go of perfect Elisa. And a couple of things happened. One was I began to understand that, you know, I saw my mom as a mess and I saw my daughter as making choices I wouldn't make. And I saw myself as being the good, perfect Elisa. And the Lord, oh, so kindly showed me that I was just as messed up as either generation. I was proud. I was proud and arrogant and thought that I was better because I made different choices. And he humbled me to show me that there's nothing more godly about being proud. And the second thing that he did, and again, this is over a season, is he showed me that the survivor skills that I had used were imprisoning me. And he used an, an, an illustration from the book Unbroken by Laura Hildebrand, where Louis Zamperini, is, uh, he was a prisoner of war after World War II in a Japanese camp. And um, and in, in Japan, Japanese culture, um, there was a, an entity or a cultural expectation of being a loyal soldier. And they found in their culture after World War II that those who had fought in the battles for Japan 
and Japan had lost, wouldn't let themselves let their guard down. They they had to stand at attention in their souls as if they were still fighting all the time. And they ended up, the Japanese government ended up doing a ceremony where the loyal soldiers actually were invited to resign so that they could then strip down to being normal human beings again. And the Lord used that illustration in my life to just help me see, Elisa, you don't have to stay this rigid, defended, soldier, perfect girl. You know, you can be wrong. You can be fallible. You can be tired. You can be weak. You can be vulnerable. And I can, God can inhabit that part of me. And by embracing that and and retiring my loyal soldier and letting some of those guards slip down, I began to discover that, oh, I hadn't let myself be loved in some ways. I hadn't let myself benefit and be drawn close to what God had for me in a lot of ways. And so th- those are a couple of things that it's, it's a very delicate and a very individual situation, but how we come out of our, our childhood wounds and our adult wounds, those things that we do to, to survive are holy offerings, but even they need to be relinquished at the foot of the cross at times and, and let God reorient us and re-educate us into how he wants to be our protector and our defender and how we might be defending ourselves from the very love that we so desire that he wants to give us. My favorite quote from your book, it said, you said, God loves broken you and he will reform broken you into his best idea for you. And that just gave me so much hope to realize like, in all of the broken parts of my life, it's a reforming. One of my favorite images of God from the Bible is as him as a potter. And that, you know, you think about that lump of clay, it's being reformed constantly. And if there's cracks, he's not going to let you be a vessel with cracks in it. He wants to knead those out and maybe, maybe start again, you know, in some of those areas. And I want to know if you could talk about how that has happened in your heart and in your relationship with the Lord? I think I have a quote in in the book that says that um, brokenness is the beginning of revival, which is another way of talking about reformation, um, being reformed. Um, What I have learned is all of the mistakes, all of the shame pieces that we've experienced, you know, whether it was things we learned from our childhood or things that happened in our adulthood, to us or things we chose choices we made all of those things we tend to believe they disqualify us you know i'm too broken to be of any value and of any use we decide that because we're broken we're not loved and we decide that because we're broken that we're not useful and the thing that is stunning to me is that while <clears throat> There were clear consequences for sin at the fall. I mean, things like pain in childbirth and and, and death and struggle in the male-female relationship and having to, to work to earn a living and to, to eat and et cetera. The clear consequences. God's love for Adam and Eve never changed. His love for us never changes. What changes when we fall is our understanding of his love our ability to see ourselves the way he sees us. We decide we're unlovable, but he never says we're unlovable. 
he says we are worthy of love so much that he gives his only son to come and get us and rescue us, not to condemn us, but to bring us into eternal relationship with him. And then we look at our mistakes and our woundings and our broken places, and we decide that they make us unuseful, that they disqualify us. We think, well, I'm divorced. You know, I couldn't possibly be a speaker, or I've had an affair. <laughs> I couldn't possibly give anybody any advice on anything, or I've been abused and I let people run over me now. I couldn't possibly be an instrument of God's pure love to others because I feel so impure. Now, all of these things we, we take upon us. I've got a pregnant teenager. I can't possibly continue to run an international nonprofit for moms, Mops International, which I led for 20 years while all this was going on, by the way. And, and the thing that, that God has shown me is that if we take this very broken me and you and put it in his hands, what if that thing is actually the thing that further qualifies us, not disqualifies us, but further qualifies us, that makes us more useful? Now, I'm not saying run out and screw up so that you can be useful, but that broken thing, what if when, you, when God has it, when he gets a grip of it and he redeems it, reforms it, renews it, we're more useful. And if you look at scripture, you're going to see all through it, story upon story of how God used the broken. I mean, think about the broken fisher nets that um, God used to show Peter and his disciples that they could fish for people, not just fish. So many fish that the nets broke or, or the, the broken alabaster jar where Mary of Bethany anointed Jesus or, or the, the broken roof where some friends lowered their crippled friend into the presence of Jesus. On and on you see it until you see God using the broken body of his son on a cross to bring us to himself. So what I really want to say is to every single soul listening, that thing which you think disqualifies you, when you put that in Jesus's hands, he can use it to actually further qualify you. You've had cancer. You understand it when your friend loses her hair. You have a child and you're not married. You understand it when your daughter becomes pregnant. You lose your job and you're on food stamps. You understand it when your neighbor doesn't get up day after day and she could use a, a five pound thing of flour. When you are broken, God can take that breakage and reform it into your greatest offering. I love that too, because it just reminds me that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And so I love throughout the book that you talk about it as an offering, that that weakness is an offering that we're bringing that forward for God to do something in it and with it. And the enemy would love for us to just stay in the dark, stay in the shadows, stay afraid, stay covered in shame. And yet how many times has that ministry of compassion come out of people that had brokenness and said, but it's not holding me back. Yeah, It doesn't have to hold you back. And so often it is that we gain the greatest connection of ourselves to God in our brokenness with the help of those people who have hurt the same way that we have hurt and have a story to tell. Well, I think one of the stepping stones out of brokenness is that word you just used, compassion. Um, 
I didn't realize how judgy I was until my family fell and broke. I mean, I really thought, well, I'm doing it all right and I'm doing great. And that person over there, you know, no wonder she's this mess. And so when we are faced with our own brokenness, the stepping stones towards renewal and reformation come, I think, with first receiving God's compassion for us. He loves us that much. And then being compassionate towards ourselves. And when we can do that, then we respond to the, the woman having a meltdown in the grocery store with her three toddlers with compassion instead of going, oh, I can't believe she just, instead you go, oh man, I've been there. Mm-hmm. Hard day. You're going to get through this. Yeah. Compassion is key. It's, it's uh, receiving it, experiencing it towards yourself and then giving it out towards others. That's a huge way out. Yeah. I think that receiving it is that first thing that you really have to know that in your brokenness, God sees you and he loves you so, so deeply. And then once you really grab that, then all the shame, all the brokenness, everything doesn't have a hold on you anymore. Yeah. It's sort of at that point, like, all right, God, let's see what you can do with this. Let me, let me share a verse on that. Um, this is from second Corinthians seven, 10. It's so important. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now think about that process. Godly sorrow, which is like, oh man, I totally messed this up. I am super, super embarrassed and sorry, okay? What that does is it it leads to repentance. That's that I'm super sorry. I'm gonna turn and go another direction. And it leads to salvation. That's where God steps in and goes, gotcha girl, okay? It leaves no regret. It's like, done with that. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow, I think, is shame. This this self-incrimination that says I am somehow beyond God's reach. It leaves me with no alternative but death. Okay, godly sorrow <laughs> leads to repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. What freedom. Worldly sorrow, shame brings death. So, so when, when we're on this path of I am such a loser, you know, just the loser is loser of the universe, who are we listening to? And, and what are we being about? Because the only place that's going to take us is to death. Mm-hmm. You know, God wants to bring us to freedom with no regret. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm, re- I'm receiving it as you're saying it right now. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yes, Jesus. I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> Take the offering. Okay. Uh, oh, Elisa, <laughs> you've spoken so much life in this conversation. Before we part, I ask every guest at the very end, the same question. What is one thing that you think every single mom should know? Every single mom. And you'd want to say single mom. Single not every mom. Single mom. Okay. <laughs> single mom is a, yeah, it's an adjective. <laughs> and I think actually probably both every single mom and every single mm-hmm. mom mm-hmm. Um, needs to know that she was never made to mother alone. She was never made to mother alone. You may be mothering alone, but you were made to mother in relationship. Sometimes we get to do that in the relationship with a spouse or a partner. Sometimes we get to do it in a relationship with a person who's separated from us and we're never going to have a a real relationship again. But every time, all the time, we get to do it with God. And that's not just this, you know, cute little thing you want to stitch and throw on a pillow or Pinterest on some board. It is absolutely the truth that God made us to live close to his heart. He will never leave us. He will walk through all of it, all of the grime and all of the grit and all of the glory with us. We were made to mother with him. And so 
I think it's Isaiah 40, verse 11. that says he tends his flock like a shepherd and he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. And that's really, he really means the mothers of the lambs. That's where we're meant to be, is up close to his heart. So crawl up there and mother from there. Don't do it by yourself. Mm, that's so good. I crawl up there. I love that image. Elisa, tell us a little bit more about your books, your podcast, all those sorts of things and how listeners can keep up with you. I'll make you tired. Um, <laughs> you can go to elisamorgan.com and it's all there. Um, yeah, I've got lots of books and the, the book we've been talking about mainly today is called The Beauty of Broken. And you can hear it in audio form or you can get it in the ebook or you can get it in a paperback. So whichever way you want, there's a lot of other books that I've written too. Um, I, I am privileged to host two offerings for our daily bread ministries. I write for them as well in their devotional, but one is called Discover the Word. That's a Bible study you can listen to online with three men and me. It's awesome. Super fun. Discovertheword.org. I also get to co-host a podcast called God Hears Her. Org with Aaron Eddy, E-R-Y-N-E-D-D-Y. And Aaron is 30 years younger than me, younger than my daughter. And we just have a magical chemistry where we mm -hmm. get to the grit and get into mm -hmm. to life. So that's been a joy. And then the other thing is um, sign up for my blog. It's called Really, and you can sign up for it at lisamorgan.com. And it comes out every Tuesday. And I also love to platform women writers. We just love to platform women who are using their voices. So, And you'll like hearing from me as well, I'm sure. So, As Elisa was wrapping up there and telling us about the different ways that she ministers to women, she also has a blog called The Really Blog. And I like this blog so much because it focuses on the really difficult parts of life. It's not all the super squeaky clean, easy stuff that we often see, that it really is about walking through struggle and brokenness and what God is doing in that process. And I actually have an upcoming post on Elisa's blog that's supposed to launch within the next month or so that you'll wanna keep an eye out for. But there's so many great contributors and Elisa has some fantastic posts there as well. So I highly recommend you check that out. One of the things I've learned through my conversation with Elisa is the fact that brokenness is something that when we identify it and accept it, it doesn't have power over us anymore. It doesn't have the power to shame us. It doesn't have the power to rob us of the life that we have now. I think so often when I'm in a down moment, I'm just looking for a someday. I'm looking for a moment where it's maybe not gonna feel broken, where maybe it'll look normal again. And when we realize that that normal really never really existed, that there's so much power just in being present in the goodness that exists today, and that may include some brokenness, and that's okay. I think some of where I've seen God's power so strongly in my brokenness is in the people he's brought into my life to help heal and to help walk with me in that. And that was the whole vision behind the creation of the new private Facebook group for Agape Moms called Beloved Collective. We have a group that's growing strong and it is such a fantastic place where all of us are letting that brokenness just be on display and there's so much encouragement, so many tips that are being shared back and forth that really breaks off so much of the heaviness that comes with those feelings of brokenness and allows light to come into those cracked and broken places. If you'd like to join us in Beloved Collective, all you need to do is go to facebook.com 
and find us at Agape Moms. Once you find the page, go to the little groups tab and you'll have the ability to submit a request and we would just love to have you join us. I'm so thankful that you joined me for this episode today and I pray that you heard something that just maybe gave you a little boost. And I know that in this season and as we step into the holiday season, there's always things that seem to be fresh reminders of the brokenness that we've experienced in our lives and might still be. But I just pray that in all of this, you'll know that God is in it with you. I pray that you'll just experience that in such a new and deep way today. And I look forward to having you with me next time. 